The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks so much for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies, bringing two veterans of the game to you, uh, two award-winning writers, but guys that certainly know how to talk into a microphone. Uh, Tom Laws, the managing editor of ST Publishing, the award-winning publishing company that produces the Saratoga Special and the Steeplechase Times. Of course, right now, one of his biggest projects is the website, one of my favorites, this is horseracing.com. And I went up on it earlier this week and uh, just read a very, very moving story uh, written by Tom uh, about my friend, and he's been a guest on this show, two time Eclipse Award winning writer, Bill Mooney, who passed away last Saturday. And uh, it was uh, just such a. Uh, Beautiful story that Tom wrote. I thought I'd I'd get him on to talk about the story in his own words. It was uh, about his experience with Bill in his waning days. Of course, uh, he fought courageously against cancer for two years. He told me two years ago he'd never see another Christmas. He saw two more of them, and um, he fought tough to the end. Of course, uh, he was a member of the National turf writers and broadcasters well uh tom was the president of that organization and so is our our second guest and that's uh jay privman who covers the uh southern california circuit and of course national events triple crown sometimes you see him on tv of course award-winning writer six-time winner of the red smith award for best derby story so we're going to be looking at derby preps uh, there are three derby preps that are going to be run over the weekend at Gulfstream, the holy bull at Aqueduct, the Withers, and at Santa Anita, the Robert B. Lewis, of course, that is Jay's stomping ground. Of course, Jay was also a close friend of uh, the beloved Bill Mooney. Well, um, with uh, the racing now uh, popping up everywhere, of course, uh, Gulfstream is very popular this week and certainly was popular with us. We had a $1 super high five that paid $5,630. $30. It didn't end there. A super five box the next day paid $3,300. we are going to be going to Aqueduct on Saturday. You might want to pull down an easy win form. Had a nice hit there uh, just four days ago. A $1 super paid $2,385. And our neighbors to the south at Tampa Bay, we had a 50 cent super five key that paid $2,000. 561. So again, uh, while we're going to be going for the Holy Bull Stakes, uh, there's going to be the Swale Stakes at Gulfstream Park. The Forward Gal, which carries points for the Kentucky Oaks, will be contested there. And just a fantastic card at Santa Anita. Uh, We'll just get to touch on maybe a few of them, uh, but for sure the Robert B. Lewis. But uh, 
also out at San Anito, there's the uh, Palos Verdes Stakes, uh, the San Marcos Stakes. Uh, so it's a, I believe they have a four-stake card on Saturday. So pull down your easy win forms, and hopefully we can make it easy for you to cash some tickets. Well, let's face it, the biggest uh, show on the road last week was the Pegasus World Cup, and everyone was just hoping for that photo finish between California Chrome and Arrogate. It was not to be. Chrome was hustled from the outside post. Arrogate had pretty good position drawing the one hole. Now, Chrome was asked from the very beginning to to go. Now, Arrogate for a little while looked like maybe he was going to get tightened up down the backstretch. He was sitting on the rail in about the third spot, but very close uh, to the pace. And uh, all of a sudden, you could see Victor Espinosa started scrubbing on Chrome, and uh, he just was not getting the response. And uh, so Mike Smith uh, found a gap, got Arrogate off the rail, and he just blew them away. Actually, if you look at it, the last oh, 16th of a mile or so, a Mike was actually ratcheting Arrowgate down. Uh, if it wasn't for $12 million, he probably wouldn't have made his first three-year-old start as early as he did. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, he uh, uh, just devastated the field. Now, we did uh, find out that uh, Horse of the Year, California Chrome, uh, he Faded badly, finished ninth, which was the worst finish he'd ever had. And they found out that he was later diagnosed with fluid on his right knee. So uh, he was uh, already shipped to Kentucky, and the vets are going to take a look at him to see if possibly a uh, chip developed uh, or if anything had to be done. They said pretty much that the the swelling had uh, kind of... uh, ceased uh, before he started heading down. So, uh, you know, uh, both uh, Chrome and and Arrogate, two great horses. It was just sad to see California Chrome uh, end his career not on a win. But, boy, it looks like we've got uh, something to wait for this year. We'll see where Arrogate pops up. I guarantee you this, people aren't going to be dying to get in the gate with him. So he's go- we're going to see him in his four-year-old campaign. It's going to be uh, a great one to see. The reports are that Arrogate did uh, come out of the Pegasus in good order. Uh, Baffert uh, took his time with him, uh, but they did, uh, they did fly him back. So he's back at home on the West Coast, of course, uh, California Chrome. He's got a whole new schedule ahead of him. He's going to be starting his uh, breeding career uh, down at TaylorMade Farm. So, uh, stated was that uh, if he was given any needed treatment, uh, he'd have a time to adjust to his new surroundings. And TaylorMade believes that California Chrome can begin stud duty about mid-February, where he's going to stand there for (laughs) $40,000. Good news uh, for racing in general. It logged a uh, 1.23 overnight TV rating that is very, very uh, solid. Uh, of course, the other really solid one was the 2016 Breeders' Cup Classic, and that kind of came in the evening hours. So uh, certainly we're going to see the Pegasus return. I know uh, Jack Wolf, who was asked to kind of spearheaded by Frank Stronach was uh, uh, very, very positive. Of course, you know, Jack Wolf as early as Harlan's Holiday, Ashado, Shanghai Bobby, Purge. Um, 
he's had a lot of good horses, but uh, Stronach reached out for him and asked him to kind of help him go with this race that had to have a million dollars in order to get horses in the gate. And according to Wolf, he said, I thought things went quite well, uh, even for the public. Getting in and out of the track was easy. The service and food was good. The undercard was great. Yes, it was. And we'll be taking a look at some of those results here in uh, just a minute or so. Uh, but, uh, you know, it looks like uh, they, they're, they're planning on having it back. Nobody really knows uh, for sure if it's going to be back at Gulfstream, but early indications are that, that it, it may well be. And, uh, of course, the, you usually count on good weather in Miami this time of year. Of course, Jack Wolf brought a horse into the race, a Neolithic, who uh, ran third behind Arrowgate and... Uh, Stronach's own horse, Shaman Ghost, uh, but it uh, just for finishing third, uh, he this horse went from being a hundred thousand dollar earner to more than one point one million. Not bad for a third place finish. So reports on the Pegasus very good according to Jack Wolf. Um, winner of the National Handicapping Championship, Horse Player of the Year will be Ray. Arsenault, 64-year-old Arsenault, got a winning score of $407 over the three-day tournament to finish on top. So uh, congratulations to him. A, a big payday for sure. And, of course, he'll be at next year's Eclipse Awards up as the top handicapper. So he won $800,000 and the Eclipse Award. And second was uh, Steve Wilson, who's always done well in this contest, got a quarter million dollars. Third was Ryan Sharnowski from Indiana, 125000 Lou Filoso from Asbury Park, New Jersey, was fourth with 100000 And Dan Kavaleski brought home 75000 from Vegas. So uh, congratulations. And uh, we'll be gearing up for the contest here pretty soon. Of course, you can find contests on air on the web just about every week. And uh, Ellis Starr, who goes uh, by the... Uh, title of uber capper he took the ten thousand dollar charity challenge and uh he is going to be uh, donating uh, his money to charity there's a field of 40 celebrities entered and finishing second was none other than our friend jenny reese who just finished uh, about three dollars behind ellis star so uh congratulations to them and uh to the charities that they uh had been assigned to jockey of the week and here's a name that keeps popping up jose ortiz um he had a multiple stakes weekend of course he was the second place finisher in the world's richest stakes race on saturday and then he had a sweep of graded stakes double on sunday uh so he will be the Jockeys Guild Jockey of the Week. Congratulations to Jose Ortiz. I'm sure it won't be the last time uh, for for this jock to pull that uh, top spot home. Okay, the uh, the quick look at the leaderboards uh, for the Kentucky Derby. Right now on top is Classic Empire, second's Gormley, third Practical Joke, fourth Uncontested, and five gonna vera and in the ladies race the oaks on top is champagne room second daddy's little darling third feral fourth shane's girlfriend and fifth miss sky warrior again uh this weekend the forward gale at gulfstream park 
will be a points race uh, for the Oaks. And uh, as I stated, we've got three of them. We're going to take a look at all three, the Withers from Aqueduct, the Holy Bowl from Gulfstream, and the Robert B. Lewis from Santa Anita. Uh, Also, um, let's see, this week we did have the final, uh, the uh, Derby Future Wager, and no surprise here, Classic Empire. If you got uh, early action down on him, you got five to one. So a two dollar ticket paid twelve forty. Then there were uh, two horses tied at twenty dollars and sixty cents. That's Mastery and McCracken. And in the fourth spot is American Anthem, who'll pay thirty three sixty. And for those of you that didn't like anybody in the top twenty three, all other three year olds are the five to two choice, which will pay out seven dollars all right well i'll take a look at at the racing from last week of course (laughs) at gulfstream park it was arrowgate getting the job done in the 12 million dollar pegasus and uh in in the the uh, second spot again was shaman ghost second 20 to 1 course he was the 2015 canadian champion and uh he was three and a half lengths ahead of neolithic um who uh, wrote for Starlight Stables. Then there was the uh, McKnight handicap uh, that we looked at, and man, what a great race. A head-bobbing finish. It was Tog Lee driving from seventh to get the win over Sadler's Joy, a long shot uh, pick of, of uh, Dan Illman's last week. He went off at 8-1 to one and did finish second in the McKnight, and in the third spot was 38 to one shot Patterson Cross. So uh, an exciting finish uh, for uh, Tog Lieb in the WL McKnight. And then in the uh, Poseidon for four-year-olds and up going a mile and an eighth, the winner was Imperative, which was Dan Illman's long shot pick. Paid sixteen forty to win. Imperative, one of those wise purchases by Ron Paolucci. Uh, Luch Stables is the name. And uh, he got up by a head. What a race it was. He went head and head with favored Stanford. Odds on. Stanford led into the stretch. A real long drive. Like we said, you just had to throw out his Met Mile. This horse really figured. But he did not get his head down at the wire. So congratulations to trainer Bob Hess and the connections of Imperative, who took home the Poseidon handicap in a close one. Well, that's a look at uh, the national headlines and last week's uh, races that we looked at. We're going to take a little bit of a break and we come back. Not only one of my favorite writers, but one of my favorite people in racing, Tom Law, is going to be with us. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. And they're off! What? 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, of course, is uh, Eclipse uh, Award winner Tom Law, uh, who's S&T Publishing, of course, puts out the Saratoga Special, and uh, has one of my favorite uh, websites in uh, thisishorseracing.com, and uh, so uh, I went up there and uh, pulled down a story that uh, I had known about, and it was titled, Mooney, A Shining Example to the end, and it was penned by Tom Law. Tom, what a, a, a moving piece of writing. I mean, you really put us uh, right there in the car, uh, in the room with Bill Mooney uh, during some of his final time. Thank you very much, John. Uh, that means a lot. Uh, I know that uh, Bill was a close friend of yours and obviously a close friend to a lot of people, and you know, really it was an honor to, to know him and and to write this, this, not only this story, I wrote another one kind of closer to Christmas, and, and we, we shared some great interaction over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a hard piece to write, but uh, it was also a piece that I'd been thinking about for a couple of weeks, knowing that uh, Bill's health had, had, had taken kind of a turn and that he was ending the, the, you know, nearing the end of his life. And I've been thinking about it for a little while. You know, I hate to, I hate to, to think about that I was already writing a story in my head while, while Bill was still alive. But, you know, I, I, I think of all people, he probably would have understood uh, the most about sort of being prepared to, to write a piece like this. So, you know, it's a story I wish I really didn't have to write, but uh, I've gotten, I've gotten some great feedback and I appreciate that from everybody. And, and uh, you know, it's great to, to talk to you tonight uh, about him. Well, you, you know, um, probably some of our listeners are going, gee, Bill Mooney, I think I know the name. Because, well, while, while Bill uh, got a somewhat of a recent uh, Eclipse Award for his beautifully penned story on uh, being out at Old Friends when Precisionist was put down. I mean, it just, if you didn't get uh, an apple in your throat, then you, you're not human. But uh, one of his first eclipses was about 15 years ago. And Bill was also not a flashy guy. But if, if you if you read the periodicals, you know, uh, from uh, the Thoroughbred Record, uh, Thoroughbred Times, uh, Blood Horse, I mean, Bill's work appeared in in every major you know racing publication, again he he wasn't out there, he wasn't on camera, but he was just 
consistent in what he did. And I don't think in our business there's ever been a more thorough writer when you gave him a subject to cover. No, I would agree. And, and uh, not to uh, not to correct you, but actually the span in between his two Eclipse Awards is actually 22 years, which to me was just a, really amazing. I mean, I, I don't know that, that anybody else can really lay that claim that he was he won his first in the in the 80s, and then and then in the mid to late 2000s. And, and like you said, I mean, he was just a guy that was always prepared and, and just poured over uh, historical facts and, and data and everything just to get the stories right. I, I can remember when I first started with Sean and Joe Clancy at, at ST Publishing. We were working on a project. Um, and I was still living in Lexington, and I would go to the Keeneland Library. You know, I went probably in the month of March, January and, and March, I went just about every, almost every work day, you know, Monday through Friday. And Bill was there, like, every day. And he was, <laughs> he was probably working on all kinds of stuff. And, I mean, he wrote, like you said, he wrote a lot of stories for the trade publications. He wrote a lot of pieces for the various state breed organization pub, uh, publications. You know, he also wrote for the New York Times and, and, a, and a lot of other different publications. So, you know, his range was was great. I mean, he could he could do historical pieces, and one of his favorite things to write about was kind of uh, these racetrack, old racetrack historical yes. lookbacks or, like, obituaries of racetrack, like when, heaven forbid, uh, racetrack closed. Like, that was kind of his thing. But he could also right. cover races as well. And, uh, you know, I worked very closely with him uh, during my days as, as managing editor at Thoroughbred Times. And, and that's really when we got to know each other uh, pretty well, which I wrote about in this piece about about how he would he would send me stories from time to time. And sometimes he was very critical of himself. And, and one time he kind of did a rewrite of a story and, and sent it back to me. And I thought I had read the first version, and the first version was was awesome. And, uh, you know, the second version was even better. (laughs) Hard to believe you can improve upon yourself. He had an interesting background, too. His uh, parents were in the Ringling uh, Barnum and Bally Circus. And uh, shortly after they had Bill, they decided that the nomadic life of being circus performers was was no way to, you know, try to raise a family. And they kind of retired from the business, though I heard they were pretty successful while in it. And then um, Bill, you know, had a tragedy in high school where he went through a car window and spent a good period of time in the hospital with uh, uh, scarring on his face. You can imagine at that tender age in high school, you know, having scars back in the 60s, uh, the, you know, the, they don't have the medicine we have now to, to move the process along. And then he goes on to get his master's degree to, to become a professor. And I, I told so, so we were just talking about different things and, you know, the, the different writing awards that he's gotten and stuff. So I, I asked him, I said, well, Bill, of all these awards, which one are you most proud of? And he said, when the students at Michigan voted me teacher of the year. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And I mean, I can remember when I first met Bill in the, in the press box at Saratoga when I was just starting as a turf writer back in the, in the early, mid-90s. I can remember meeting him and just kind of being like, this guy kind of reminds me of like a, like a college professor. You know, like he always, he always struck me in that way. And I, I didn't really know him and I didn't really know his history very well. And even 
even when I was at Thurber Times, and he would pop by the office every now and again and be like, oh, there's that guy that was like the college professor kind of guy. And then <laughs> the more I got to know him, I, you know, it, it didn't surprise me in the slightest that he had been a, a college professor and kind of a history kind of guy. But, and, but that, always, that always struck me kind of interesting. I, I thought it was fascinating that his, his family had, had done the circus. And it's, it's amazing the, the, the you know, not only the people that we get to write about come from really kind of interesting backgrounds, but sometimes even the writers come from kind of cool backgrounds. Uh, you know, my, <laughs> I, I can't say the same, but uh, I know that I know a lot of my colleagues can, and, and I think that's just fascinating. You know, it's funny you say that about your experience in the press box with him because, you know, he kind of, he had that, I hope they make that a permanent seat at Keeneland. You're pretty much three tables down, first seat, there was Bill, so he got to see everybody that came in every day. But he always, and I'll say Alicia Wentz-Hughes is a great example, he enjoyed taking younger writers kind of, if they asked for information under his wing, and I know that uh, Alicia ended up becoming very close to Bill, even though there's decades of a gap in their age, and was very close to him towards towards the end. But you would see that that, and I think that goes back to his days as a professor that he he never you know hid any of his writing, or, though he never butted into your conversation. But if you asked mm-hmm. him for advice, he was there. No, he was great. I mean, like you, John, you know, and I see you from time to time, and in the in the press box there at Keeneland, and I'll come in and just kind of, I'm coming from out of town, and and I can always remember just in, even in the last few years, you know, running into Bill, and he would kind of whatever he was doing, he would stop and he would, you know, put his computer down, or he would turn around in his seat and he would sit there and he would talk to you, and he would want to engage and he wanted to know what I was up to what I was in town covering, you know, not in a prying way, but just kind of wanting to know what was going on. And yeah, um, the fact that I, I know that there's that younger guy, I like to, they're the younger generation. I, I used to be part of that younger generation. I guess I'm not really <laughs> there anymore, um, which I think is, is great. Um, and, and he worked with them. And I thought that was, you know, I always did think that was kind of cool that he, he, he maintained his spot there and he, he works alongside those other younger writers and that was just great and I mean he was you know I, I told the story my story was getting a little long I was writing on the on the website the other day and even though the internet is kind of there's there's no space restrictions but uh, one story that I wanted to tell was about how when he told me that he had cancer uh, I can remember I was, my mother was dealing with some cancer at the same time and had just passed away and I, I told him I said you know I I don't want to say I know what you're going through because I, I don't because I, I'm not the one dealing with it, but my mother dealt with it. And, you know, uh, I cherish all my time with her and da, da, da. And he, you know, he, he told me, he said, I want to, I want to stay in touch. Let's stay in touch. I know you're moving away, um, but let's stay in touch. You know, friends and we've been friends a long time. And a lot of people say stay in touch and then they, they don't always stay in touch, you know, but let's make sure we do stay in touch. And, and that really resonated with me. And, and, and we did. I mean, we we stayed right in touch right up until right around the holidays and, and the new year when uh, when he really started to to fail. And I really I cherish my last few conversations with him. You know that I'll that I'll remember forever. Yeah, I I I know exactly what you're saying because I was out walking my dog on the the golf course next to the house. It's too cold for golfers, and I 
called him up and he's like, "Hey, John, how are you? You know, I, I always we used to keep a stickum uh, upstairs in my room that said, would say, "Call Bill Mooney," just to remind me every now and then. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. we, we probably talked for forty-five minutes, and I'm guessing we spent eighty percent of the time with Bill asking me how I yeah. was doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, before you let me go, I want to. Just because you've been a friend of mine for a long time, and I want to congratulate you on your on your new job, that new position that you have with the Ohio uh, Ohio Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders. I, I think that's great for you, and I think you're an asset to the to the racing industry. And I think it's, I'm glad to see you staying in the game, and and your enthusiasm is just contagious. And 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 you know, guys like you and guys like Bill are have always been been really great to me uh, when I was starting out and just kind of coming on the scene and I, I do appreciate that so um, I, I'm glad that you guys maintain your relationship as well yeah it, it, it was it was a great conversation and I don't know if he was in hospice or where he was you know I'm on the phone yeah and he's not complaining he's not whining you know I, I had spent time with him a couple months ago writing my own story about him and mm-hmm. uh, you know just really cherished that afternoon but uh, you know if Bill was listening to us right now he'd probably slap us in the back of the head and say hey guys enough about me let me let me yeah. get some some racing in I've only got about two minutes left but yeah. uh, Tom when I went up on this is horse racing I saw the one of the claims Nancy Brothers was saying, hey, you asked for it. We're giving it to you. Uh, this mm-hmm. is horseracing.com. We're kind of giving you a new look. Kind of t- tell us about the, about the look we're going to see when we go up on there now. Yeah, we launched, uh, we relaunched the website. We kind of did a little bit of a redesign. So uh, we're kind of trying to keep more of our, more of our fresher content, um, you know, a little bit more visible. Our, new, our newer stories are kind of towards the top, obviously, and, and, and rotating. Versus just kind of having one main story. So, like, the, the Bill Mooney story, which has been popular, is still kind of up towards the top of the site, even though it's from earlier in the week. And that we've moved our opinions uh, up towards the top. And Sean and Joe's blogs and, and their columns from the Saratoga Special are always really popular. So we wanted to move those up to be a little bit more visible. And then our features kind of, we, we took on more of a visual look versus more text. So we scroll down to see the latest features. You know, see a lot of pictures. We got Teppin, we got Smarty Jones, we got some uh, eventing horses. We got, of course, we got uh, California Chrome in there, and, and lots of other different uh, famous horses. We got a, a picture of Northern Baby in there. We did kind of a throwback Thursday. We kind of added a feature, and we got some more features that we're going to plan on rolling out throughout the year. We just had our meetings in January, and those are always really productive, and we come up with some some neat features that have been pretty popular over the years. So we're going to have some more coming up real soon. All right. Well, we've been talking with Tom Law. Tom, thank you very much for spending the time with us. And uh, thank you for the heartwarming uh, story on Bill Mooney. I uh, urge all of our listeners to go to thisishorseracing.com and and to read about it, whether or not they ever even read Bill Mooney, they'll appreciate your writing. Of course, uh, Tom, you're former president of the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters. I've got to go because I've got another one coming on with us, and that's uh, your friend Jay Privman will be joining us. So thanks so much to Tom Law for being on us, and uh, thanks uh, to you for listening. And we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we come back, we're going to be talking with Jay Privman. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and back with me, I say it every time, one of my favorite guests... Jay Privman is with us, of course, right now writing for uh, the Daily Racing Forum. Uh, you've seen him on television. Uh, he's uh, won um, multiple awards, uh, five Red Smith Awards, which is kind of hard to believe since hundreds of people are writing stories on the Kentucky Derby. And like Tom Law, a former uh, president of the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters. Jay, how are you doing? Good, John. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, you know, they, they, it's too bad that that groundhog saw a shadow. So they say we still got six <laughs> weeks of winter, but we didn't really see much of one this year, quite frankly. But uh, you don't have to worry about that stuff out where you are. You know, I, I want to ask you uh, about the National Turf Writers, writers and Broadcasters. Of course, I'm going to get to a subject a little bit about one of my favorite writers, but we're, we're and I, you know, mentioned uh, Jenny Reese off air, uh, we're just seeing fewer and fewer actual turf writers. Uh, we're actually, if you take a step back, and I'm not going to name any organizations or publications, but it's almost like, uh, you know, we're, it seems like there's no really award-winning writers that, that the editorial staff isn't interested in, in good writing anymore. It's kind of like, to tell me, what are the top five things to know about the Pegasus? Are, are you seeing our uh, field start to drive up? And if anything, now that you've included broadcasters in your organization, are you seeing uh, more broadcasting people on your uh, roster than actual writers? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, there's obviously more broadcasting people that have come on, and I think, you know, the people who broadcast regularly and are regularly involved in the game as broadcasters are, were good additions to the to the membership and, and are people who vote in the Eclipse Awards and should be voting in the Eclipse Awards. You know, people like Simon Bray, for instance, TVG, somebody like that. You know, he, he should be voting. Um, and the way the turf riders was set up before, broadcasters weren't allowed to be members, let alone voters, so... I think that's a welcome addition. But to your larger point, yeah, there's definitely been a, a sea change from when I first came around in terms of turf riders. You know, back then, most major newspapers had a turf rider covering the uh, covering the sport. And when you see situations as alarming as the Lexington and Louisville papers within the last year and a half, both not having full-time racing riders anymore. I mean, in the heart of horse country, it's it's really disturbing. I, I don't understand how in the world that happens there. You'd think the readership would demand 
that. Um, and you see more and more people now who are bloggers, and I think there's still a market for people like, you know, who work for the racing forum because you, you really might not know the news if it wasn't for some of us who are out there covering the news and reporting on it for other people to see and then opine off of. So, um, so at least there's some people getting the news out there. There are, but I mean, you know, when, when I think about some of the people, two of my favorite guys, uh, Gary West and Bob Fortas, uh, the fact right. that New Orleans, who had such a storied racetrack, and, and of course, uh, Gary was more than happy to cover the entire state of Texas and anything in the Southwest, and both of those guys, outstanding writers, the fact that they don't really have a regular platform anymore is killing me. Yeah, it's it's not a good situation. You know, Bob had done some work for us on a freelance basis for the racing form the last couple of meets, but he decided after last meet that he pretty much wanted to wind it down and, and be retired. Um, and it's too bad because he, he lives near the racetrack, and I'd love for him to still be doing stuff for us, but that you know he put in a lot of years and did a lot of great work, and he deserves to, you know, obviously to to live the life that he wants to live, but I, I for one, wish I, selfishly wish he was still writing for us because I, I think he's a valuable, he'd be a valuable voice. Well, I see he is doing some work for Jockey Talk 360, and right. of course, uh, they helped uh, promote the book that he and Gary wrote together. I, I hardly ever went on the backstretch at Churchill Downs and Derby Week. I used to call those guys 1 and 1A one because they were usually within about 15 feet of each other covering the backstretch stories. Uh, so I, I did see that uh, he, he just did a, a story on uh, Robbie Alvarado. So I, I think Fortis is one of those guys that he's, he's one of the real, you know, a turf rider's turf rider. He's never going to get away from it a hundred percent. I sure hope not. He's a pre a pros pro, and you know Gary's a wonderful rider. And I, you know, it's, it's, I wish guys like that had more outlets because they're they're terrific. But you know, sad to say, our our sport right now is not sowing the seeds to bring new kids on board. You know, I mean, uh, I I would disagree with that. I think it's just a different way of doing it. Um, there's more internet related uh it's a changing environment and i actually think i see a lot of young people out there covering the sport it's just not through a daily newspaper like you know 30 years ago or something but i i think there are people getting involved john to be honest it's just it's just in a different format from what we grew up but that's the way it's evolving and and so i i I still think there are people getting involved i I, I don't think it's a i don't think they're going the way of the dinosaur well, I, I just hope they get their teeth into it, the, like guys like you and you know a, a lot of the the veteran writers who uh, seem to be able to bring their passion across and not just information. Uh, well, here, here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well. Uh, I, of course, I spent most of my interview uh, with Tom talking about a guy I know that, that you knew over the years and uh, that the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters have actually uh, named an award in his honor, and that's uh, Bill Mooney, who, who left us uh, last week. I mean, you want to talk about great writers, there certainly is one. No, he was a terrific writer and a terrific person, and you know, the things that I really admired most about him was just his integrity um, on a lot of levels. He always wanted to make sure that every word that he turned in was 100% accurate. And with a lot of the stuff that he did, which demanded a lot of research and historical stuff, it was painstaking 
um, to, to get it right, but he took a lot of pride in it, and it, and it showed uh, in his work. And he also had great ethics in terms of not um, tolerating people who would try and cheat to win awards. Uh, there was a major plagiarism uh, scandal involving an Eclipse Award uh, about 20 years ago, and he was an integral part of uncovering that and exposing it. Uh, and he and he never backed down when the person who was found to have uh, done what they had done uh, tried to blame it on an editor, uh, claiming that the editor had inserted all the plagiarized copy into the story, which was an utterly preposterous thing to say and uh, and a despicable thing to say to try and blame it on a completely innocent bystander. And you know, Bill was very forthright about making sure that the truth came out and that that award was eventually rescinded. So it's, it's things like that that I think uh, endeared him to people who, uh, you know, over the years, uh, who, who uh, admire just the way he conducted himself. Absolutely. I remember reading you know, one of his well-researched stories, and it actually is somewhere near the beginning of it. He was describing the Indian tribe that used to live on the land where this racetrack was. <laughs> I mean, who else would know that but Bill Mooney? <laughs> he was no, amazing. Mean, he, he, he was. I mean, he, that, that was the kind of stuff that he did. He, I remember when the Breeders' Cup was um, at Lone Star uh, about 10 years ago now, he was commissioned by the, uh, I think, the Texas uh, Breeders Association uh, to do a story on, like, kind of the lost racetracks of, of the state of Texas. And it's it's just great reading, uh, you know, finding the sites where these places had been and historical markers and in places where there's not historical markers, just showing you where they, where they had been, where there's now, like... Developments of, of tracked homes and things like that. It was it was just great work, and he just loved doing that kind of stuff. He really did, and it came across in his writing. Well, uh, probably got about two minutes till our first break. So before we get on to uh, any uh, handicapping, uh, just uh, kind of wanted to get uh, uh, Jay Privman's uh, read on the Pegasus. Well, obviously, Arrogate ran a sensational race, and unfortunately, California Chrome just ran as poor a race as he could run in his career finale. So the big matchup that you were hoping to see, the big rematch of that great Breeders' Cup Classic that they had just never materialized. But I think we, we're seeing a, a very special horse at Arrogate to have run the kinds of races that he's done in the Travers and the Breeders' Cup Classic and now the Pegasus to run as fast as he has. And remember, this is, that was only his seventh start. So he's still, yeah. he's, he's still a really young horse from an experience standpoint, but the, the talent he has is, is just terrific. And I did a little research, John, that he's the first horse since Ghost Zapper, who's run buyer speed figures of uh, 116 or higher uh, in three straight races. And that was that was a dozen years ago. So he, he's, he's a once-in-a-decade kind of horse right now in terms of what he's doing from a speed figure standpoint. I, I think it's an apples and oranges thing to compare what he's doing to, for instance, what American Pharaoh did, where you're on a prescribed schedule and you've got to bang out three races in five weeks and, and win them all. Uh, but, I mean, to, to have a couple of horses like that in recent years, uh, along with what we've seen with California Chrome and Songbird and and uh, Beholder, I mean, it's, we've had some really, really special kind of tap-in. We've had some real special racing the last uh, three years or so. 
We really have. And, you know, again, alluding to uh, your uh, your comment on those uh, uh, back-to-back-to-back buyer speed figures, Mike Smith didn't do much riding in the final 80 yards of that race either. No, he didn't. He didn't need to. It was uh, it was over when they made that move at the uh, between the half mile and the three ace pole. And uh, you, I mean, right? I, I, I mean, I know what you're getting at. It's like he probably could run a little faster, but uh, didn't need to. <laughs> they no, what they he, needed to do to win seven million. <laughs> No, not bad at all. A, a good day. It's going to uh, be a while for anybody to catch that. Well, um, we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're uh, talking with Daily Racing Forms' Jay Privman. And we come back, we're going to uh, take a quick look at, at three races uh, that could potentially help horses get into uh, the starting gate in the first Saturday of May at Churchill Downs. So with that said, we'll take a little bit of a break. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and with me, the Daily Racing Forms, Jay Privman is with us. And uh, we're going to start off out in his backyard at Santa Anita. It's the 79th running of the Robert B. Lewis. It's a grade three. Before we get onto this field that's talented but short, um, I only had the chance once uh, to meet, I believe it was uh, Bob and Beverly Lewis. But I'm sure that many times you've had the chance to meet and talk about them. They were quite a group of quality people, weren't they? Yeah, no, they're terrific people. Uh, Beverly, uh, his widow, has, has attended the Robert Lewis in, in recent years, and hopefully she'll be well enough to come out to the race on uh, on Saturday. But uh, Bob was a terrific guy. He won the Kentucky Derby a couple of times and uh, just uh, uh, really uh, a first-class person to be around. Well, again, uh, you know, uh Breaks my heart to see a five-horse field anywhere, <laughs> but uh, certainly in a grade three race that uh, uh, could have uh, a chance of getting on these horses in the starting gate in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, but the odds maker really looks like um, he, he kept them all pretty close together. Danger Field's the only double-digit odds horse in the race. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty soft field, honestly. I mean, the, the, I think the two horses will take the bulk of the money or both coming off maiden wins, that being sheer flattery for Jerry Hollendorfer and Royal Moe for John Sheriff. Uh, sheer flattery had run three 
sprints before stretching out last time and and won uh, nicely, and I think the extra distance certainly helped him. Royal Mo is uh, a horse who broke poorly in his second start uh, and then stretched out last time and won on the lead, and he looks like he might be the controlling speed in this race, too, but he's kind of an understudy to Gormley. I think the three best three-year-olds currently out here that have gone two turns are Gormley, American Anthem, and Mastery, and they're all awaiting races next month, so that's why this race came up a little bit softer than you'd have hoped. You know, it's funny, um, you know, you sheer flattery uh, by flatter. Uh, I was listening uh, to a, kind of a new element of, of the daily racing form, and that's the buyer sire figures. I'm probably not saying that right, but uh, I was listening to uh, Dan Elman and Nicole Russo talking about how, you know, Tappet and Uncle Mo and some of these guys get the headlines, but Flatter statistically is one of those horses that's kind of flying under the radar, and I think that's being shown with this new. Uh, uh, I guess Andy Byer uh, got tired in retirement and decided to come up with a, a whole new set of figures. It's very interesting. No, it's a nice product for uh, you know for for pedigree enthusiasts to incorporate into their handicapping, especially you know you're always looking for any kind of insight you can for when horses stretch out or get onto the grass or make their debuts. So I think it's another tool in the handicapper's arsenal. Well, uh, again, uh, you can catch that on, um, I believe, uh, the Daily Racing Forum site, and uh, you can go over and take a look at it. It's something very new. Of course, uh, the buyer figures themselves have been uh, you know, etched in stone if you're a handicapper of, of any kind uh, in, in, in racing. So um, while Sheer Flattery just broke its maiden. It did do it in impressive fashion, stretching out, getting up by a nose, coming from off the pace. Um, should we take the sloppy track into that, or should we take in the fact that Mike Smith is with this horse, that this is one dangerous uh, colt? Well, I, I think he's got a potential to be a nice horse, but uh, you know, to your point, he did win on a sloppy track last time, so you, you don't know if that moved him up, but... A couple of his sprints before he stretched out were against some really good horses, and he ran well uh, in those races. So I, I think it was the distance more than the sloppy track, because he's got a couple of pretty good dry track sprints before he stretched out to show that I think he can handle the dry. So I just think he's a, a promising horse who just got better when he went two turns. Okay, well, and this race, too, for the people on the East Coast, they should be able to catch it because it's going to be run early on the card as the second race, uh, 1 o'clock Pacific, uh, so that'll be uh, 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So that's the second race at Santa Anita, Kentucky Derby Prep, the Robert B. Lewis. Uh, speaking of Eastern Time, we'll go to Aqueduct in uh, the Withers. Again, a mile and a 16th, and he's uh, got a bit bigger numbers in the field, but certainly, uh, Jay, in looking at this race, it looks like uh, this race has got to go through El Arib. Uh, what a sensational back-to-back performances it's put in. It started at Parks, went to Laurel, and seemed to have a fondness for the uh, inner aqueduct surface where it'll be racing on Saturday, was an 11 and a quarter length winner of the grade three Jerome. No, we won nicely last time. I have a recap of that up on our Road to the Derby page on the Race Form website so you can get a little more detail as to what I thought of this performance. But you know, visually, he ran, a, he ran a good race. I just don't know what kind of competition he was beating that day. But uh, you, you certainly can't knock 
how impressive he was against that group, and he ran a, a good, the figure was good, and hopefully he'll continue to move forward. And it looks like he's got another pretty, uh, a field that he lays over on Saturday in the Withers. Yeah, because uh, most of them are coming out of maiden special weights. Uh, the, you know, the, there's it was uh, the second place finisher bonus points uh, that uh, came out of the Jerome, as well as the third place finisher True Timber. Like you said, we don't really know what their True Timber is uh, because it's kind of young in the season. So, and again, just like uh, you know, we talked about with the sheer flattery, maybe this horse just really you know enjoyed running in the mud and and had a, a huge jump up there though uh, it did win a hundred thousand dollars stake at laurel uh, over the main strip albeit a a sprint so uh, uh the withers it looks like uh could be a wide open event we'll find out because at this point in their career any one of these horses could jump jump up every horse in the race but small bear is nominated at the triple crowns so you know that their connections uh, are, are feeling that way well let's move down south uh, to the holy bull another mile and a 16th race at Gulfstream park it'll be run as the 12th race and uh boy if el arib's a standout in the withers i don't think there could be a bigger standout in north america on saturday than classic empire who makes his debut last year's two-year-old eclipse award-winning champion a winner of four of five lifetime starts right and his last race was the breeders cup juvenile where he won in fast time and he was well in front of the the third horse in that race. The, the second horse ran a big race that day, but unfortunately uh, had to be uh, retired after that race with, with an injury. It's actually a stud at Taylor made now. So uh, Classic Empire really kind of stood out as the top two-year-old colt of last year, and now we get to see how he's progressed in the three months uh, since that race uh, at Santa Anita. The, the thing, one of the things, among the many things I like about this horse, John, is you know, there's one bad performance at Saratoga. He, he, he shook that off and and came back and won nicely in his next couple races. He's unbeaten with Julian Leperu on him, who he obviously gets along with him very, very well. Uh, and when once he went two turns, he seemed to just go from strength to strength. So uh, this is a means to an end. I don't think it's, you're going to see his best performance because he's going to have three races leading up to the Kentucky Derby, and this is the the first one, so I, I think you're going to see something for on which he can build, but hopefully he'll be uh, cranked up enough to win this race. But there's a couple other decent horses in here that I think can can, can certainly give good accounts of themselves. Uh, I thought Gunnavera's race in the Delta Jackpot was terrific. He made a, 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 a big brush on the turn and just kept going. Uh, and I know Todd Fletcher thinks that fact-finding might have some promise. So I, I think this is a, a, a of the three races, I, this is the I think the one that's got not only the the champion. You've got the best three year old right now, but you, I think you've got a little more depth in this field in terms of some of the under studies looking like they've got some quality compared to the other races that we're that we've been talking about. Yeah, we were talking with Jay Privman, a horse that uh, kind of caught my eye to keep in my exotics is uh, Irish War Cry. Now, it's never gone behind uh, seven furlongs, uh, but uh, went wire to wire the last time. And he's a son of Curlin, uh, another, you know, champion horse who's turned into a solid sire, trained by Graham Motion, who you know is patient with his horses. And I noticed he's going to get first Lasix uh, in his only two starts is run an 83 buyer both times. I, I think he could easily be a part of the try. Absolutely. I mean, you'd like to think that 
he's going to get better with more racing, being by Curlin. You'd like to think he's going to get better with more distance. Uh, and like you say, he's only had the couple sprints. So I do think there's quite a bit of, of upside with him as well. He's giving up quite a bit of uh, experience to horses like Classic Empire and, and Gunavera. But, uh, you know, sometimes talent can, can win out. And he certainly looks like a horse who's got the potential to, to continue to improve off what we've seen so far. Well, my producers tell me I've got a short amount of time. I do want to know, when will the tete-a-tete between you and Mike Watchmaker begin? Because I love that column all. So you guys went pretty easy on each other last year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're uh, Our derby watch will be starting up in a couple of weeks. We just feel that, like, starting this early, people's eyes would just be glazing over. It's like, you know, let them have a – let them at least get into February before you start going into – top 20 rankings for the Kentucky Derby. It's like it's, it's, it's still three months out right now. I just think it can be overkill. So uh, ours is going to start up in two weeks, and uh, I, I think you'll see not only a strong list of horses, but one of the things we take a lot of pride in is having accurate information in terms of where horses are, are going next and, and what jockeys are going to be riding them and things of that nature. So it's a pretty comprehensive uh listing that we do and i always look forward to doing it with mike and i look forward to reading it we've been talking with jay privman and tom law i want to thank them both for taking time out of their busy days to be with us i also want to thank matt widener from winning ponies and voice america for helping us produce the show remember when you go to the races bet with your head not over it Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.